What's up, everybody? Thanks for uh, coming back to Riffin' with Griffin. And as usual, I don't really know what the theme song's going to be. Uh, I'm putting it out there, and uh, we'll see if this is going to be the one. Here's a podcast I wrote that I might want to listen note for note. But don't worry, case you goodbye. Who the riffing with Griffin? Did you buy the boon I'm so stupid. You know, I'm trying to kind of come up with a theme song. I like doing this. I think people that listen like me doing this. But I'm going to say this. If you have an idea for a theme song and you want to send it out to me, so send that shit out to me. You know what? Just send me an email um, like, hey, I'm going to make you a theme song. Here it is. And then I'll put some lyrics on it and, and then we'll see which one is the best. Because a lot of people have been sending me like messages, Twitter, Instagram, and they're like, yo, man, I can make you a song. So stop talking about it and just make me a song, damn it. I'll try it. But anyways, thanks for coming back to Riffin' with Griffin, everybody. I really I really appreciate it. Um, this is episode six of Riffin' with Griffin. This is right before Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you're not too fat. You know, don't uh, lose. Don't, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, the next holiday is going to be like for New Year's and Christmas. So that's when we'll make all our resolutions and lose all the weight from the holidays. But I hope you had a good holidays. I appreciate once again, everybody that is subscribing and listening. I really do appreciate it. But anyways, this is episode six. Officially, we just had episode five. This is episode six. Uh, I'm always messed up with the numbers, but I'm pretty sure this is episode six. And what I wanted to talk about this time is. Everybody keeps asking me about I'm dying up here. Everybody's like, yo, you know, I'm dying up here was so great. It was my favorite show. And I just I totally appreciate all of that energy and everybody that loved I'm dying up here. And so this podcast is about how I feel about, you know, the two seasons of I'm dying up here and what I think about the show being canceled. And yes, if you didn't know, the show is canceled. Um, I'm, I travel all over the country now and I like I see a lot of older people who are like, I'm saying not millennials. I'm saying like, you know, these, these are people that grew up in the 70s, people that are that love the 70s. It's, a, it's an older crowd. You know, you have showtime. That means you have money. So those people, I appreciate all those fans and those people are always disappointed when I tell them the show is canceled. But I got to say, I love all the love people give me for I'm dying up here. It's just like, it was such a rewarding experience. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved doing that show. Um, you know, coming off workaholics where I was Montez and I was like a silly character. And, uh, and I love Montez. Montez was great. Just bringing that to life. But here we are with I'm dying up here. And I had to like do some acting, you know, I had to put on my acting chops and Trust me, I didn't think I could do it. There was a lot of stuff on there. I was like, yo, this is going to be hard. And But it was very rewarding. And, you know, I'm, I'm sad that the show's gone. I really am. 
uh, I had such a good time with everybody on the show. And so I said, you know what? Let me talk about them dying up here. I don't know. I've talked about this story a million times, but it's like I was at the comedy store. It was like a regular Tuesday. And Adam, the manager, comes up to me like, yo, Jim Carrey's here. And I was so mad because I thought he was going to bump me. And then, you know, I, I went up. I had a good set. And then, like, the um, people that the producers, everybody was there, all the producers, Michael Aguilar and all those people were there and they saw me and they were like, yo, that's the guy. We want him to be Ralph. And like three weeks later I was, I was on the show and the show was just, it, it, I mean, it, it really was a tremendous experience. So I got my computer open and I just want to thank all the people that were on the show. You know, we did two seasons and it was, it was two seasons of hair and makeup and putting on, you know, putting on a big ass afro. And like the first season's afro was not very good. If I'm being real, the first season afro was like, what is this? Didn't look like it was really my hair. Uh, so it was weird. But and then I think the other thing, too, was like if I'm being 100 about it, you know, I'm mixed race. I'm very mixed Nobody knows who I am. Y'all looking at me like, is that Drake's father? You know, you're not sure if you should call immigration or homeland security when you look at me. So I'm very mixed. I, I, I could pass for a lot of different things. So in this particular show, they wanted me to be black, you know, and I'm mixed. I am part black. I am. I'm part from, you know, where I am. You know, Belize, Jamaica. I have family in both those places. So that's why I have this look. But at the same time, I have like a Eastern European look. People think I'm Jewish. Some people think I'm Italian. Some people think I'm Latino. Some people think I'm Middle Eastern. So, but in the show, they wanted to accentuate that part. And that wasn't the wig for it. So season one, I wasn't happy with the wig. The whole wig, season one wigs, like what the hell was going on? You know, there's people out there like Carla, <laughs> the make the hair, head of hair in season two. She was like, uh-uh, not with these wigs, you know, and I think that was part of it, too, is like, you know, you wanted to have this 70s black experience, and so you had these black characters, we had Richard Pryor, we had uh, RJ on the show who was playing Adam, and he had his little fro, then they had my little, they had my fro, and so they wanted it to be authentic, and I'm not saying that only black people can do authentic black hair, that's not what I'm saying, but there is something to somebody who is more familiar with this hair and what it does and what it looks like and what it should feel like and and uh, how to work with it really and so it, it it did make to me it made a difference in season two and I went to this really great hair lady and she like like made the hair like my texture so I felt like it looked way more believable that that was my hair but it's all part of the acting right it's just a costume I mean it's like you know Superman don't really wear a cape. But, you know, he has the cape on. Does it look natural? I don't know. Did he pull it off? You know what I mean? So I felt like we pulled it off in season one. But, um, you know, it's like Dave Flabont, head writer, Michael Aguilar, executive producer. Those two guys were the heart and soul of I'm Dying Up Here. And, of course, Jim Carrey. You know, I want to thank him because a lot of the show came from his vision, his his experience. Like he lived in a closet. That's why he we had two characters live in a closet. So, you know, when I read the script, I was like I said, it was very challenging, and I was like, oh man, can I really pull this off? And you know, it was seventies, and it was like, man, you got to be this comic 
in the 70s. That's kind of weird because, you know, when you're a comic, you build your voice for like eight, nine years, whatever it is, you get your point of view. And then this is your point of view. And then so now you got to play someone who has lived that eight, nine years and they have their own point of view, which is different from your point of view. So I think the stand up kind of suffered, but I don't think like trying to do stand up on camera your fake stand-up it's just hard to do you know i think we pulled it off in some areas you know like i thought al madrigal was like so good but that's what they showed it in snippets you know and he really worked on that stand-up and um so they show these little snippets so that was good but anytime it was like a long set it just to me came off as weird because it's not organic like stand-up's organic you capture something in the room you know and that's why even specials sometimes are weird you watch a stand-up special and you'll be like i've seen that person live and i think they're much funnier live and then there's something weird about uh, something weird happening with the lights with like you know you know they're doing takes and cuts and edits and it just loses a little something so really great stand-up specials are the ones that can really capture that live experience so imagine having like extras and like cameras on the stage and different angles and like having to do something over and over and over again it's really hard to capture that so you know um you know i don't know if we pulled it off all the time on the show I think the big, why did the show get canceled? That's like the thing. Uh, well, not enough people were watching the show. I mean, obviously, I think if more people were watching the show, we'd still be on the air right now. So for all you people that love the show, I wish you would have told a hundred of your favorite friends and maybe we'd still be on the air. But I think there was some stuff like even behind the scenes. I think, I think this is my personal opinion and I'm just putting it out there. I don't give a fuck. I think that Showtime wanted a comedy and we delivered a drama. Oh, I think there was some kind of disconnect with what kind of show that we were supposed to deliver or maybe the expectations that they had. I mean, if you were getting into business with Jim Carrey and you say, hey, Jim, I want to make a show with Jim Carrey. Maybe you think, oh, this is going to be a wacky comedy. Maybe this is like not knowing that he's at a different stage in his life right now artistically that he wants to put out something completely different. And that's what he did because there's two shows now. I'm dying up here and kidding who are, I'm not kidding. They ain't comedies, you know, so that might have been a disconnect right there. So I think that, you know, I don't know if we had the full support of the network after season one kind of tanked. Because this would be real, you know. Um, so that's the first thing I think that happened to why we got canceled. And two, like season one, I just think season one was like, we went up after Twin Peaks. <laughs> Twin Peaks. I, I don't know if you guys watched Twin Peaks, but. The only thing that should come on after Twin Peaks is the national anthem and the American flag. And then the station should go blank like they used to do in the old days. So you could figure out what the hell did you just witness? What did you just watch? You had to think about things like after I watched Twin Peaks and I in like a six minute outro with a, a fly on the screen. Like I wasn't ready to watch some like melodramatic you know drama comedy some dramedy after that so i thought that was a huge mistake i thought they buried us with that i mean i wish we would have come after shameless put us on after shameless that's their number one show put us on after that it's like a dark dark comedy then you have our little dark comedy but you know 
That's just me. I thought that the posters, I don't know what the hell that was. Like we had this dead guy on the thing. It was like the two on the nose. I'm dying up here. Then somebody's dead. Then you see the poster and you're like, what is this about? What is this show about? I don't know what it's about. Who is that? What's going on? Is it a documentary? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? It, what is it? So I don't think we made our message clear. And I think we suffered because of that. But we got our groove in season one, though. Season one, you guys don't know what was happening in season one. You know, first, before I even talk about the seasons, let me just talk about everybody that was on the show. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, Melissa Leo, starting with the great and powerful Melissa Leo. She was she was something else. (laughs) You know, she's an Oscar winner and she's a very much an artist in the full sense of the word. Like if you if you're a person that's an actor and you think acting is an art, you know, like when you watch like the award shows and you see like Viola Davis, like talk about acting in that kind of like artsy fartsy way. That is Melissa Leo in a nutshell. She definitely was artsy fartsy. She definitely was like wanted to become this character and it wasn't necessarily a nice person, the character. And she embodied that and she became that and she was bossy and like, you know, she taught me a lot of things. She would come sneak up behind me on the makeup chair and be like, Eric, I don't think you should do it like that. You know, she would just give me little tips and things because she felt that I was open to hearing her advice. But she was something else, man. I remember there was time we were, it was me, Andrew Santino, and Al Madrigal. It was like the first time we're shooting together. And we're sitting here in the hallway discussing the scene and then they're rehearsing literally like like we're not disturbing anybody out of nowhere she comes up like a ninja like don't talk during rehearsal i looked at these dudes they looked at me because i'm like this is three grown-ass men we three grown-ass men yo check yourself like check yourself before you wreck yourself okay i don't care what awards you've won that's just kind of attitude that the three of us had but we know how to deal with that as comics you know we know we know how to deal with, with you know with difficult personalities, and so I think that's why it overall worked. That's why I think the cast was so close. But Melissa Leo was just great. There was times that you know she might have flipped out, and then then it's action, and then she does it, and you're like, God damn, this motherfucker can't act. She is she was brilliant, you know. And then we had the great and powerful uh, Ari Grainer. Ari, she was fantastic she was the, you know she was the girl you know what i mean i mean we were representing the 70s and i know hollywood right now is on this multiracial we have to have a lot of women and but it wasn't like that in the 70s so how i think that was another thing working against us by the way is what was going on in society so we got the me too movement and we got all this stuff going on and then we had this male dominated show from the 70s because that's how it was you know what i mean so i think that they like they, they centered on like well we have to pump up ari and melissa we have to make sure that they're front and center. And I don't know if that was service the show, you know, to its best of, of its ability, but no knock on them. You know, I just think it's like a combination of the times and everything that was going on, you know, but Ari was great. You know, she played Cassie and she had this great, like she really worked on the standup. Cause she's never done standup before. So she went to open mics and she was like trying to like, she wanted it to be authentic and real. And she really put herself into it. And I thought the, 
um, uh, the pilot of the show when she has her little breakdown on stage. I thought it was very beautiful. It was just moving and beautiful. And I, I thought that was a good set to tone for the show. But I think, again, another problem with the show was that we didn't know that it was going to. I don't I think there was people on the show that didn't realize that this was an ensemble. That this wasn't going to be like, oh, this isn't going to be the Melissa Leo uh, sh- show or the Ari Grainer show or the Eric Griffin show. It was this was not that this was an ensemble from the beginning. So but they didn't make that clear. We did the pilot and you were like, OK, this because you know, the pilot was all about Cassie, you know. And then so like the second episode, you're like, well, what happened to all that? Because they now they know what they wanted, where they wanted to go. But I don't think that was made clear. So. And then there's good old Michael Angriano. I never say his name right. Is it Angriano? I always say Angriano, but I think it's Angriano. I don't know. I love Mike. He's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I'm actually going to have Mike on the podcast. He's going to be one of my first guests. But he was great. He was one of the guys that came from Boston. And Mike's great. He's been in like, he's been in like, so many great movies. I want to. I want to look up. I'm gonna have. Uh, let me look up some of Mike's stuff here because I got his uh, IMDb open right now too. Because you know he was in the Forbidden Kingdom. I didn't remember he was in the Forbidden Forbidden Kingdom. You know what? I'm not even gonna talk about this because I am gonna have him on the podcast and I'm gonna talk about this stuff. But he was in Forbidden Forbidden Kingdom, uh, Sky High, Almost Famous. He was in so many great movies and he's really got some great stories. So look out for that. I am going to have him on here, but Mike was just, he was a, a pleasure to work with and we became really close. And that's like, and the same thing with Clark Duke. It's funny. Clark Duke and him, they were the guys that came from Boston. To me, the show should have been about those guys coming from Boston. It should have been about them. They, cause the, the pilot popped when we went to Boston and saw them and then they came to LA. That's what the show should have been about, you know? And then, um, <coughs> I'm always coughing on my podcast, and I'm always talking about me po- talking on my po- on my podcast. Um, and then there was, uh, you know, so him and so Clark Duke and and Mike, they were like those great Boston guys, and Clark was great. And it's funny because I had worked with Clark like a few months before we did the pilot on Workaholics. We did a Workaholics episode together, and he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be on that show," and he was growing his hair out, and I was like, "Oh man, that's gonna be so great." So uh, that was good. And then of course. We had Sebastian Stan. Let me just talk about Sebastian Stan. So Sebastian is like, it's funny that when you look on Instagram and you look up, I'm dying up here. It's still all about Sebastian Stan. This motherfucker was in one episode, but he's such a gorgeous, hunky guy that he's associated with our show off of one episode. He was the comic that died in in the show. And personally to me, like I didn't care about I didn't care about his character. I just didn't. You know, I, I like I said, the show popped when the two guys came from Boston and I really enjoyed that. But Sebastian was great. And he was he's another artsy guy, by the way, just artsy fartsy. And uh, he was cool. But, you know, but the main cast, you know, we had um, Mike and Clark. They were the guys from Boston. Love those guys to this day. And then RJ, RJ Siler. RJ is the coolest motherfucker he was in. Um, Power Rangers. He's just, oh man, I had such great chemistry with him. I love all my scenes with him. And it just was like, it was so moving. I, he just is such a cool kid to work with. He got good head on his shoulders, comes from a good family. I'm having him on the podcast too, so I don't want to talk about him too much. And then my main man, Andrew Santino. You know what's so funny about Andrew and I is like, we would always, I always see him at the same auditions, right? Because because he's like this weird redhead, you know, like redheads are weird, even though he's a handsome alpha male guy, 
it's like you, you know, he still went out for weirdo roles. So I would be there too. It would be like, I'd be like, oh, here's this motherfucker again. You know, so we were always going out for the, some of the same parts. This was the first time we like were going for different parts for the same show. So when I walked into the test and I saw him, we were like, oh, you know, it was like so fun. And we were the only ones like, you know, talking to other guys in the room were just like nervous as fuck. They were just like, you know, you know, trying to get their things like, I want to go, I want to book this part. And him and I were just like, whatever, how you doing, man? Just talking about the roles and just like being like, this is going to be the funnest time ever. I hope we get this, you know, turns out we both booked it. So that was cool. And then there's Al Madrigal. Love Al. Al is, he's, Al's a comedy sheriff, you know, Al Madrigal. He's got a great special, Shrimp and 80s. You got to watch that. He was on a daily show. He's, he does a bunch of little movies. You probably, if you don't know him by name recognition, when you see him, you're going to be like, oh, that guy. But Al's great. He was like the, the grandpa on the set. You know, Al's like, like, he's the comedy sheriff. Like, if that's why it's so funny because Al's so pretentious that he loved being this hacky Mexican comic on the show. <laughs> he, cause he would never do that kind of material on stage, but he loved doing that. He was, he was like, I get it. Like, you know, he just was like, oh man, this is so fun just to say, like, you know, tacos and whatever he was doing. But, it, Al was like a blessing to have on the show, and he was in the writers' room first season, so he added a little bit of gravitas to the the stand up stuff. So he was fighting for us in the writers' room about like you know, well the comics wouldn't do this, the comics wouldn't do that, and you know it, it was good to have him there. And then Jake Lacey came on the show. I love Jake. Jake is one of the coolest, most down to earth dudes. He was in. I got to look up Jake's stuff because Jake lives in New York. So I don't know if I can have him on the podcast. So I have to talk about Jake properly. But um, he was just in Rampage and he died in Rampage. He was the bad guy in Rampage. (laughs) He died. But he was in, um, um, what's that movie? Sloan. He was like, he played a hooker in a movie. Um, He just has done like a lot of great stuff, man. Um, He was in The Office. You know, so he's done comedy, uh, but he's he's an artsy fartsy one too. Like Jake is definitely like he can you could sit and talk about acting with Jake for hours, and he will give you like he'll give you the realness, and you'll just be fascinated by having a conversation with him. You know, he really took it seriously, and then everything has to mean something and important. Him and Cassie, they had a lot of like I used to tease them because their scenes would go on forever. Shooting their scenes, it'd be like an eight-hour scene, them sitting on a diving board. That shit took forever to film because they are that into it. They're that professional. And, like, um, uh, you know, they just needed it to be perfect. So uh, who else we got there? Then there was John Daly, who is, like, the most hilarious dude. John Daly is just a breath of fresh air on a set. You know, he had he was Arnie. You know, he had the great hair. You know, he just... He's like gold. He's a scene stealer, that motherfucker. But but John Daly, look him up. He's he's freaking awesome. And then Steven Garino, who is he's so he was so good in season one. Then I you know and and then they they cut him out of the show. And I still don't get it. I still don't get it. Like his story, he was the one that he went and he decided he needed a quick comedy or scale back so he can be a dad and, and take care of his wife and get a real job, which is a real struggle that a lot of comics have to deal with. There comes a time when you're like doing comedy and you're like, can I do this? 
is this is this a pipe dream? Can I really make it? Maybe I am good enough to make it, but life gets in the way. And and that was just a great story. And I don't know why the fuck they took that off. I mean, it pisses me off. Like it's like people that like they people that like just sign checks think that they know what the fuck they're talking about. And I, that was just a I mean, it makes me mad now. That was a stupid decision to take him off the show. It's freaking stupid. And then we had Ginger Ginger Gonzaga. She's actually on Kidding right now. She's the crazy one on Kidding, and you know Ginger was great. She, <laughs> she was the first bush. She she had she had to put the bushy thing on, you know, because in the seventies the pussy was bushy. You know, we saw her booty a lot um, on the show, and she was just she just went for it, you know. But she was like a great, you know, she was like Arnie's girlfriend and 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 uh, and Clark's girlfriend, and you know she just was a she's a real she's a funny lady, you know. And it's like they need. I'm glad she's winning. I'm glad she's out there on that other show because she deserves that. And then Rick Overton was on the show. Oh, my God. Rick's a legend. And he was just so fun to be around. And then we had Earl Skakel. You know, he's, he won. He was on Roast Battle. You know, he's the weird Jewish guy with the, the glasses. And he always he was a character. But he was playing a, a horrible hack comic. <laughs> he's always like, this kind of hit home. But no, Earl's funny. Um, then there was Joel. Joel Dutton, you know, he was, what he played, who, who did he play? Like he was Gabe. So he was like the Jewish comic, you know. Uh, he was great. Then, we, then um, we had Don Marrera, another legend. They, had to, they killed him on the show. He didn't like that. Let me tell you that. He didn't like that shit. Uh, Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett for this season, season two, was phenomenal. Just he was just, and he's such a great storyteller. We, sometimes we sit in between scenes, and he just would he could just sit on a uh, a lounge chair and just tell stories about the old days. And he was a breath of fresh air. And it sucks that the show got canceled because I feel like he did some Emmy worthy shit. And now, because nobody's gonna vote for a show that's been canceled, but he did some Emmy worthy shit. And it sucks that we got canceled because now he's not gonna get his due. So that's another reason why I'm doing this right now. And Sosha. Oh man, she came on. She played Dawn. She she was on um, um, Mindy Project. You know, she was a nurse on Mindy Project, so she came in to play this sort of bisexual uh, black comic, and you know, dealing with being a lesbian in the seventies and dealing with her dealing with her comedy. So she came on. She was a great addition to the show. So that was great. And Stefania, oh man, she was awesome too. She played Goldie's daughter. You know, she was great. Oba. Oh, man. You know, you got to go to our IMDP page and look up all these people. I mean, I'm not getting to everybody because the list is just goes on and on and on and on and on. But, you know, I hit up most of the main the main guys on the show, the main uh, the main people. And, um, you know, I just Sarah. Hey, she was another one. I got to say I got to say what's up to Sarah. Sarah. She was great. Sarah was freaking awesome on flesh and bone on stars another show that a network canceled without really giving it its due but she got nominated for a golden globe i mean she was just phenomenal on that show and she came on our show and just added so we had so many if you go to imdb and you go down that list there's a lot of great motherfuckers on that list all right so anyways thus the cast then we go into season one 
So we had Jonathan Levine. Jonathan is this great director. He directs the pilot. We had this the great DP, you know, so we have this lighting and everything looks delicious. And then, you know, the, the pilot is great. It was a really great pilot. It really captures the, the heart and soul of what you wanted the show to be. And then we had to wait months and months and months and months and months. And then we shoot episode two. Different director, different DP, different look, different feel. So that's why I feel like we kind of floundered a little bit, like the first two, three, four episodes of season one. We didn't know who we were. We didn't know what was going on yet. I had that scene where I had to beat the guy up in the, in, in the um, bathroom. And even I was thinking to myself, I beat this guy up. And then this is the 70s. So I beat this drunk white guy up and then no cops come to get me. How is that even handled? But we kind of glossed over that. It's that kind of stuff, but it's like you're talking about so many characters, a small writer's room because there's not a big budget and they have to service all these people. I mean, I commend them on the work that they did. I mean, Dave Flabot, I mean, I just commend the guy, you know, and he was sick. He, you know, he has like a kidney thing and he was like, he had to go to the hospital and, you know, he still was like writing and taking care of business. And, and Mike, you know, he was just the heart and soul. Mike Gagular, the producer, he was like the showrunner. He was like on set having to deal with all these egos and personalities. Can you imagine having like all these comics and then these like artsy actors all in one place trying to manage that? This motherfucker was like Pat Riley out there dealing with all this. So, you know, so I said, so, you know, episode two, three, I didn't know what the show was about, four. And then episode five was this episode where I had to be to do this, like, my Vietnam guy, uh, you know, came. Um, and Jocko, Jocko Sims plays my buddy from Vietnam, and he did an excellent job. You know, he's on a great show now, some doctor show. I wish I could say the name of it. I'm going to have him on, too. I'm going to have Jocko on, too, and then I'll, I'll talk to him. Um, So I had to do this Vietnam thing, and... I was really nervous about it. You know, I was like, oh, man, am I going to pull this off? Because part of the part of my apprehension about doing I'm Dying Up Here was that it was about the comedy store. This place it's like a church. It's like I have such reverence for the place. And and, you know, you do a show sort of about the place, sort of about this era that built this whole thing up. And then you got to walk these hallways. If you're doing a shit show, you walk in these hallways and, you and you know, we, people going to talk shit. So I was really surprised about how many of the comics and, and my colleagues who were like, yo, man, you did a good job. or I really liked the show. I think that to me was the kiss of death. When comics like something, that shit ain't going to be good. <laughs> I think that was the reason why we needed, I needed the comics to be like, I don't like this. And then regular people being like, oh, I really love this. I think if I had to, you know, I don't know if I had to do it all again, I think I'd still do, do want it to be the same. But, you know, I, that was the thing. I just didn't want to walk through the halls and people think that I didn't, I couldn't act or I didn't do a good job. You know, it was really important to me, you know, so I you know, really worked on that stuff and we did that. And that's when I think the show took off. Episode five is when we got Jake Lacey on the show. And then also I think we settled into who the DP was going to be because in season one, we had like three or four different directors of pic- direct director of picture. You know, that's the person in charge of every shot and like. You know, how much smoke is going to be in the room. And that was another thing. We had all this freaking smoke. And I had to smoke on the show. That was a fucking nightmare. Those herbal cigarettes. You think cigarettes are bad? Try herbal cigarettes. Those shits suck. So, we did season one. We didn't get the ratings that we thought we were going to get. We did. It just didn't take off. It just didn't, you know. And I know there's people out there that are like, I can't believe this show was canceled. And neither can I. But at the same time, I got to be real. If you make a show where half the critics are trashing us and and 
people aren't watching the show. You have to you have to ask yourself, well, did is did we make a good show? I don't know. If that's what you're going to go on, if you're going to go on audience and critics, <laughs> which seems silly when you say it out loud, but hey, it's you know what it reminds me of? It's like the music business. And I remember Prince, rest is R.I.P. Prince. But I remember when he changed his name and he was on BET used to have this news program. And Prince was on there talking about why he changed his name because it was to get out of his contract. And he was saying like he just didn't want to be in the music business. I'll never forget this because he was saying like, hey, I just put out an album. It was like, the, I remember the Crystal Ball album. He said, I put the album out. I sold 100,000 copies of it for $50. That's $5 million. He was like, is that a failure? And I thought about that. I was like, oh, shit, that ain't a failure. It's not a failure at all. But in terms of the music business, they might consider it a failure because they need you to sell 10 million records or whatever their thing is. And he was like direct to consumer. So I'm saying I think we're in the same kind of boat. We put out this really artsy project and only like 200,000 people watched it. Does that mean it was bad? No, it just didn't catch on with a lot of people. And I think part of that problem was what we did. We, I'm talking we, the producers, Showtime, not advertising the thing properly, not really. It just, yeah, we just dropped the ball on that. And I think that's why it didn't catch on, you know, but you can still watch it, you know. And then season two, like I said, when we added like Brad Garrett and all the people that came on the show, I think season two was, uh, I am proud of the work that we did. I'm very sad that the show is off the air. And I just wanted to put this podcast out to just say to people, thank you for everybody that watched I'm Dying Up Here and who are continuing to watch I'm Dying Up Here and will continue to watch it in the future. We made 20 episodes, so go out and watch it. You know, it's 20, that's 20 hours. We made 20 hours. That would be four seasons of a half hour show, right? If you think about it like that. Um, and I'm proud of it. I really am. And I think it's, it's good TV. I, I wish we would still keep going, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I'm not sitting here like, uh, we made some shit. No, we made some good stuff. We made some good TV. So I want you to go out and watch, uh, I'm dying up here if you get a chance. And so this is really just a thank you. It's a thank you to the fans. It's a thank you to all the cast, all the crew makeup, um, Showtime too, you know, hey, we made some mistakes, but Showtime took a chance. It is a business. It was an expensive show to make. So it's like we're going like, yo, nobody watched the show and we got bad reviews. Hey, you won't, can you spend $50 million again? So I totally get, you know, that them being like, you know, it's like you buy a house for $10 million and then it's not the house you want or the foundation's a little messed up. And then you turn around and go, well, I'll just buy another $10 million house. It don't work like that. Sometimes shit can't be fixed and you got to bulldoze it or sell it off and get your money back. So I get it. I'm not, I'm not completely upset. They're not all to blame, you know, and we did what we did. Uh, like I say, I'm proud of the show and I'm, 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 I'm glad you guys are listening to me now. I'm glad you guys are still watching it. The people that are watching it and, you know, go out and support all the people that you've seen from the show and all their other things. But anyways, this is Eric Griffin, episode six, Riffin with Griffin, and I hope you had a good holiday, and look for me again in another week, and I appreciate you.